Turning now in the Word of God for our worship, for our praise, for our meditation, for our instruction in righteousness to Second Samuel and the chapter 17. Book of Second Samuel, chapter 17 in the Old Testament. And we read this chapter in its entirety and on into the chapter 18, a few verses on into chapter 18. Let us hear God's holy word. This is God's word. Let us hear together the Lord help us, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive his word. On this, his Lord's day. Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Let me now choose out twelve thousand men, and I will arise and pursue after David this night. And I will come upon him while he is weary and weak-handed, and will make him afraid. And all the people that are with him shall flee. And I will smite the king only, and I will bring back all the people unto thee. The man whom thou seekest is as if all returned. So all the people shall be in peace. And the saying pleased Absalom well, and all the elders of Israel. Then said Absalom, Call now Hushai, the Archite, also, and let us hear likewise what he saith. And when Hushai was come to Absalom, Absalom spake unto him, saying, Ahithophel hath spoken after this manner. Shall we do after his saying? If not, speak thou. And Hushai said unto Absalom, The counsel that Ahithophel hath given is not good at this time. For, said Hushai, thou knowest thy father and his men, that they be mighty men, and they be chafed in their minds as a bear robbed of her whelps in the field. And thy father is a man of war, and will not lodge with the people. Behold, he is hid now in some pit, or in some other place. And it will come to pass, when some of them be overthrown at the first, then whosoever heareth it will say, There is a, a slaughter among the people that follow Absalom, and he also that is valiant, whose heart is at, as the heart of a lion, shall utterly melt. For all Israel knoweth that thy father is a mighty man, and they which be with him are valiant men. Therefore I counsel that all Israel be generally gathered unto thee, from Dan even to Beersheba, as the sand is by the sea for multitude, and that thou go to battle in thine own person. So shall we come upon him in some place where he shall be found, and we will light upon him as the dew falleth on the ground. And of him and of all the men that are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. Moreover, if he be gotten into a city, then shall all Israel bring ropes to that city, and we will draw it into the river, until there be not one small stone found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai, the archite, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord hath appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. 
Then said Hushai unto Zadok and to Abiathar the priests, Thus and thus did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and thus have I counseled. Now therefore send quickly, and tell David, saying, Lodge not in this night, not this night, in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily pass over, lest the king be swallowed up and all the people that are with him. Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz stayed in, by Engroel, for they might not be seen to come into the city. And a wench went and told them, and they went and told King David. Nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom, but they went both of them away quickly and came to a man's house in Baharim, which had a well in his court, where the way they went down. And the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread ground corn thereon, and the thing was not known. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman to the house, they said, Where is Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And the woman said unto them, They be gone over the brook of water. When they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, after they were departed, that they came up out of the well and went and told King David and said unto David, Arise and pass quickly over the water, for thus hath Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose and all the people that were with him, and they passed over Jordan. By the morning light there lacked not one of them that was gone over Jordan. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and arose and got him home to his house, to his city, and put his household in order, and hanged himself and died, and was buried in the sepulchre of his father. Then David came to Mahanaim, and Absalom passed over Jordan, he and all the men of Israel with him. And Absalom made Amasa, captain of the host instead of Joab, which Amasa was a man's son whose name was Ithra, an Israelite that went in to Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister to Zeruah, Joab's mother. So Israel and Absalom pitched in the land of Gilead. And it came to pass when David was come to Mahanaim, that Shobi, the son of Nahash, of Rabbah, of the children of Ammon, and Machir, the son of Amiel, of Lodibar, and Barzelai, the Gileadite, of Rogalim, brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and parched corn and beans and lentils and parched pulse and honey and butter and sheep and cheese of kind for David for the people that were with him to eat. For they said, the people is hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. And David numbered the people that were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. And David sent forth a third part of the people under the hand of Joab and a third part under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruah, Joab's brother and a third part under the hand of Ittai the Gittite. 
And the king said unto the people, I will surely go forth with you myself also. But the people answered, Thou shalt not go forth, for if we flee away, they will not care for us. Neither if half of us died, will they care for us. But now thou art worth ten thousand of us. Therefore now is it better that thou succor us out of the city. And the king said unto them, What seemeth you best, I will do. And the king stood by the gate, sighed, and all the people came out by hundreds and by thousands. Amen. This is the word of the Lord, and may the Lord be pleased to bless that public reading of his precious, infallible, inerrant, and sacred word. Let us go to the Lord now in prayer, seeking him and praying that he will hear us for our many needs. And above all, we come to praise him, thank him for all that he is for us and to us through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us come in his name and for his sake. Well, dear congregation, I ask you to please turn your most earnest and prayerful attention to those words that I read in your hearing there in 2 Samuel chapter 17. Do you remember at the close of chapter 16 last week, we saw the most wicked and foolish counsel of Ahithophel, David's long-standing counsellor, as he, as it were, aborted ship, as he jumped ship and started to support David's murderous son, Absalom, as he counselled him to lay with David's concubines. David had left ten concubines in Jerusalem, and he gave him this most wicked counsel to lay with them. It was a terrible thing. It was wicked. Absalom, remember, after having slain his elder brother Amnon over Tamar, is now wanting his father's reign, wanting his father's kingdom, wanting to be king. He wanted recognition from the people. But it was not to be. It was to be Solomon. In the plan and purpose of Almighty God, the Savior should come through Solomon. And of course, Solomon, although he wasn't a perfect man, he would be one who would serve the Lord, but not Absalom. Absalom was a wicked man, a self-centered man, a man who wanted recognition, a man who actually despised his father, and so do a lot of spoiled children. They, dis- they actually despise their parents. They don't esteem their parents. Absalom was such a son. Although David loved him, Absalom didn't love his father. In fact, we read here how it pleased him that Ahithophel tells him at the beginning of chapter 18, of chapter 17, that he should kill his father. It pleased him well. Now, Ahithophel knew that Absalom despised his father and that he wanted recognition, that he wanted to be king. And Ahithophel, he suggested 
that if Absalom really wanted the kingdom, what he would do is lay with David's concubines, which, as I said, he did. Now, that was also, not only was it a grossly immoral act, it was a calculated tactic that often wicked kings employed to subdue their enemies. It was meant to demoralize the enemy. But it also meant, and Ahithophel knew this, that there could be no reconciliation between David and Absalom. Doing this thing would mean that reconciliation was absolutely out of the question now. No possible way. It would really mean a fighting to the death, a fight to the end. And we could say all of this is happening. Of course, we could go, we could rewind all the way back because of David's sin and all that he did. Remember the sin that he committed there with Bathsheba and committing adultery with her and then murdering her husband, Uriah the Hittite. But also we could say all this is now taking place because David didn't pass the death sentence upon his son Absalom. He should have done that for killing his brother Amnon. Now many could argue, well, David was a murderer. Yes, but the prophet Nathan said to him that he should not die. The reason why he should not die is that Absalom should not be king and that Jesus Christ should come into the world by the line of David and then through Solomon. But now you see, because David is not chastening his son, he's not dealing with son, his son in the proper way, and he's weak because of his own sin, but that doesn't excuse him, does it, for not dealing with his son and passing the death sentence upon his son, and he had the power to do so as king, what it means now is that he is reaping the obvious consequences of a son who was used to getting his own way. And that was Absalom. And his own way now is to be king. This man, Absalom, is bent on power and prestige. That's what he wants. And he will do anything to get it. And what we see in this chapter is that despite David's sin in his life, that is, of course, his own sin in committing that adultery with Bathsheba, and we remember how we're told the Lord said, the sword shall not depart from thine house because of that, and because of the death of Uriah the Hittite. Despite David's sin, and despite him not dealing with his son in the appropriate manner, despite David's backsliding, we see God's grace goes beyond David's sin. And that's a tremendous encouragement for us as Christians. God's grace is greater than our sin, friends. If God has loved us, and despite our backslidings, and even though it may take a while to restore us, God's grace is invincible where it comes to his people and his purposes in Jesus Christ. God is going to restore David here back to Jerusalem. David is, in effect, in exile. He is running away from this rebellion. And God is going to restore him back to Jerusalem. And we will also see in this chapter and in the next, Absalom and Ahithophel's slow but sure demise 
an utter defeat. Now, you remember, as I've said, David now is shut outside of Jerusalem. He's effectively cut out. But remember, he sent, as it were, Hushai, who was a relative newcomer, as a mole, as it were, in the camp of Absalom. Absalom now has, it seems, taken over the palace in Jerusalem. But David has sent Hushai, this relative newcomer who was so loyal. And if there were more Christians like Hushai, you know, there are many people that say they will do things and they make promises and they don't do them. It's a terrible thing, isn't it? But Hushai was a man who said he would do something and he would fight for the king and he does. And so David sent Hushai to be as a mole or a spy in Jerusalem so that in effect the counsel of Ahithophel who was David's old counselor loyal to him many years but now is not loyal that it would be overthrown. Remember, David prayed in his prayer, remember, in his desperation, that God would overthrow the counsel of Ahithophel. Now, Ahithophel, we must say, was a very wise man. And he actually gives Absalom here the correct counsel if he was to defeat David. And I suppose this would have been a weakness for David. To have Ahithophel there before Absalom, because Ahithophel was a shrewd man. He understood war and tactics. But if you just turn back there in 2 Samuel 15, verse 31, you'll notice, remember that prayer of David. 2 Samuel 15, 31, and one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Well, David, he didn't just pray this, but he prayed that indeed the Lord would overrule in everything. And he acted upon it. He sent Hushai, this spy or this mole, now, the first thing I want you to notice here in chapter 17 is that Ahithophel, he fights against God's grace, which is toward God's people. Now, David was a means of grace toward God's people. And in the ultimate sense, because David, it is through the line of David that the Savior would come. Now, granted, David wasn't a perfect man, but surely he was a better man than Absalom. He was a better man than Saul. He was a man after God's own heart. Again, not a perfect man. But God was also going to be gracious to David and through David, wasn't he? He would send a savior into the world because of that everlasting covenant that God made, the covenant that the Lord made with David's Lord. The Lord said to my Lord, also back in the Psalm 2, that God's grace would come through the line, the lineage of David to bring Jesus Christ into the world. That through David's seed, there might be everlasting life. Now, as we said, Solomon is to be the next king. 
And what we find here is that Ahithophel and this wicked son, Absalom, are fighting against the grace of God toward God's people. Now, of course, Satan is behind all of this. We must always realize that whatever wickedness is taking place in this world, there is an evil one behind it. We're told by Paul in Ephesians 2, the prince of the power of the air that worketh now in the sons of disobedience. Now, as we said, Ahithophel recently jumped ship. He served David, but not as the Lord's anointed. That was the difference. He just simply served as an advisor, but he, he didn't love David. He didn't serve him as unto the Lord. He served him as a king. He was loyal in that sense. He advised him. Ahithophel was not a godly man. He was not a spiritual man. And certainly we, we could say he was wicked because if he wasn't wicked, and the, the wickedness, we should say, is really proven in the fact that he told Absalom to sleep with his father's concubines. How wicked is that? And he suggests that he kills now his own father. Surely this is a wicked man. It should be clear that Ahithophel is not a godly man. Or else he never would have given that advice. Now what motivates such men as Ahithophel? Well, we could say greed and avarice, all of these things. Now you notice, he advises here, in verses 1 to 4, that Absalom, he allowed him, Absalom allow him to gather 12,000 of the finest men from Israel to assassinate his father. Notice in these verses, verse 1. Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Let me now choose out 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue after David this night. Now, we're told here that Absalom doesn't hesitate. In fact, he thinks this is a very good idea. We're told here, in fact, the thing pleased him, the verse 4. And the saying pleased Absalom well and the elders of Israel. My, doesn't it show how fickle also the elders of Israel are? One minute loyal to David and the next minute they're not. It's frightening to think, isn't it? Well, you see, Ahithophel now, he's given this counsel to Absalom and he realizes that a rebel needs to actually act very quickly. Because the, the hearts of the people of Israel can change. They're very fickle themselves. We see how fickle they are. He's effectively saying to Absalom, if you don't act quickly now, David will regroup. David will strengthen himself. And perhaps Israel will change their mind about David. At the moment, they are pretty disgusted with David. There is turmoil. There is unrest in Israel. And uh, so Ahithophel here sees, and he knew that uh, Absalom being the rebel had to act fairly quickly. So he could read the situation fairly well. He was a wise man. He was a shrewd man. And effectively he's saying, you've got to seize the opportunity now. Strike while the iron is hot. There's another character like that. Judas. Iscariot. We've already seen it. This man has the same end, doesn't he, to Judas. 
He goes and he hangs himself at the end. There's pride in it all. There's sorrow, but there's no real repentance. Well, we notice in this chapter how God destroys this man's plans. He destroys not only this man Ahithophel, but also Absalom. Because what we see now, as you'll notice in verse 5, Absalom, he calls for Hushai. And that was fatal. This notice, then said Absalom, call now Hushai, the archite, also. And let us hear likewise what he saith, what he saith. Now you can imagine, I suppose, Absalom is he's not sure. It's true that in a multitude of counselors there's wisdom. And uh, of course this is a big decision to make, isn't it? If he gets this wrong, it means death. And uh, so in fear and in nervousness, he's rather cautious. But really we could say, on the other hand, there's no real reason, is there? Humanly speaking, is there a reason to call upon this man Hushai? After all, he's David's friend. And he's shown no proven track record that he's loyal to Absalom. Is he any reason, humanly speaking, why he should ask for Hushai? Then said Absalom, call now Hushai, the archite. Isn't that interesting? In the providence of God, you see, it, it seems a most unlikely person that he should call upon. Because in fact, we know, as we saw last week, he's even a friend of David, and Hushai is rather ambiguous in what he says. He wasn't dishonest to Absalom. But you see, Absalom had no reason to trust him. And therefore, he had no reason to ask him. But he did. It's amazing, isn't it? This is all part of God's providence, friends. All part of God's plan. And so Absalom asks for his counsel, but it was fatal. It was absolutely fatal for Absalom. And so what we have in verse 6 to the verse 13 is we have a very bold argument made by Hushai, who sternly opposes the counsel or the advice of Ahithophel. Now, you notice the boldness, verse 7, And Hushai said unto Absalom, The counsel that Ahithophel hath given is not good at this time. For said Hushai, Thou knowest thy father and his men. They be mighty men, and they be chafed in their minds as a bear robbed of her whelps in the field. And thy father is as a man of war, and will not lodge with the people. Behold, he is hid now in some pit or in some other place. And it will come to pass when some of them be overthrown at the first, and whosoever hear it will say, there is a slaughter among the people that follow Absalom. Now we must understand here that Hushai is risking his life. Now the things that he says here are not untruths, are they? These are factual things about David's history as a proven warrior. He's not lying. He's not bending or he's not compromising the ninth commandment. 
David's men were mighty. David was mighty. Hushai is saying, Absalom, remember who your father really is. Remember his past. This is the one who really stood up against Goliath. This is the one who is not afraid. And so, in reality, they understood these things well. Certainly Absalom and the, the men of Israel understood it. Now, if they had listened to, let me say, Ahithophel, David is weak right now. We notice here that Hushai uses the word perhaps. He's suggesting in his mind. He's, he's putting doubt in his mind. You know what your father's like. It may not go well for you, Absalom. But in reality, things did not stand well with David. He was weak at the moment. But you see, Hushai is the means that God used to dissuade Absalom from following Ahithophel's counsel. Hushai said, you need all Israel behind you. And actually, this fed his pride and his ego. Let me show you. For Hushai, verse 8, said, Thou knowest thy father and his men, that they be mighty men, and they be chafed in their minds as a bear robbed of a whelps in the field, and thy father is a man of war, and will not lodge with the people. Behold, he is hid now in some pit or in some other place. And he, and he was actually hiding in a, in a place, wasn't it? That's not dishonest, that's not untrue. And it will come to pass that when some of them be overthrown at the first, that whosoever hear it will say, there's a slaughter among the people that follow Absalom. And uh, he also that is valiant, whose heart is at the, as the heart of a lion, shall utterly melt. For all Israel knoweth that thy father is a mighty man, and they be with him are valiant men. He's effectively saying, oh yes, there'll be a skirmish. David's in waiting, probably. He doesn't say certainly, he said more than likely. And, uh, well, they won't be asleep. Your father David and his men, they won't be asleep. There'll be a skirmish. They won't be surprised. And uh, what's going to happen is you send these men out, the whole thing will be a disaster. And he's going to send fear and panic across Israel. And it's all going to be over for you. And Israel are going to change their mind. So Hushai, what he does is he uses David's past victory as a means to put fear in Absalom and saying, really, you need to gather up all of Israel. Delay, delay, that's what you need to do. Don't follow Ahithophel's advice in striking while the iron is hot, your father's ready. Remember his past. And you notice how he appeals, as I said, to Absalom's pride. Verse 11. Therefore I counsel that all Israel be generally gathered unto thee, from Dan even to Beersheba, as the sand is by the sea for multitude, that thou go to battle in thine own person. Now, what he does is he pictures in Absalom's mind this rather handsome, impressive young man that will lead a vast army of Israel against his father, and that he's going to go out alone into battle. You deal with him personally. 
You see, Absalom, it seems like the image of himself going out against his father. But you see, that, that's just Absalom, isn't it? He's all image. He's all show. He's all mouth. And there's no substance to the man. He wanted image. He wanted recognition. And you see, Hushai, what he does here is he plays on that. And in his vanity, Absalom falls for it. And so he goes along with the plan. And it's all by his own vanity and folly that he falls. But this is all in the purpose and plan of Almighty God, isn't it? That he uses Hushai. So you notice that Hushai goes on to say in verses 12 to 14 further things. And uh, what he does here, some say that he goes beyond the ninth commandment, but he, he uses what we could call mere possibility or conjecture. He mixes conjecture with truth, and that's, that's not wrong in a sense. He is reasoning and is rationalizing in Absalom's mind certain things. Verse 12, so we shall come upon him in some place where he shall be found. This is again conjecture. This is again possibility. And we will light upon him as the dew falleth on the ground. And of him and all the men that are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. He's saying this is, this is the plan. This is a possibility. Moreover, if he be gotten into a city, then shall all Israel. And of course, now Absalom's imagining in his rather prideful mind that all Israel are going to follow him. And Look at the picture. All Israel should bring ropes to that city and will draw it into the river until there be not one small stone found there. What an analogy. He feeds this man's ego. And, uh, well, he falls for it. Really, he's saying, take time, take time. Don't rush. Now, right or wrong, of course, Hushai knew things here. And he's stating the fact about David's proven track record and that he was a mighty man and that he was a man of stealth. But right or wrong, we must remember that God, while he never sanctions or approves sin of lying, and I don't think Hushai is quite doing that here, he is conjecturing and he is uh, supposing a, this, a situation, God still, however, uses imperfect men, doesn't he, to achieve his purposes. That, that is true. It can be said of the cross even. Of course, that's a terrible thing that they did to our Savior. They put him to death by the hands of wicked men. He was put to death. Now, you notice that he, what he does in all of this, he brings back to the memory of Absalom all that David did, the mighty man of God, the man who slew Goliath, and the one who escaped Saul's armies, and he puts this fear in Absalom so that he listens to his counsel. Now verse 14, And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. Now again, who is behind all of this? Well, we're told. Four. Do you notice? 
It's, it's easy to miss this in the verse 14, but it's there. For, whenever we find the word for, we can put the word because. This is all done because the Lord had appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel. It was good counsel. If Ahithophel's counsel would have been listened to, David would have lost. It's good counsel for Absalom, but it, it was wrong. To the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. This is the whole reason of all of this taking place. The Lord is behind it all. Now Ahithophel was wise. And that's why David did pray that prayer. That the Lord would overthrow the counsel of Ahithophel because David knew it was wise. So delay meant destruction for Absalom. It was a disastrous decision that he made to follow Hushai. Now Hushai, what he said, I don't believe was wrong. But there you have it. Now, thirdly, we want to see this morning deliverance of David by a woman and a well. Verse 15 to the verse 23. And there are some lessons to learn here. What we find in these verses is that David outside now of Jerusalem, he's got the priests with him, and the, the, the priest's sons, what they do is they take David and hide him in a well. Verse 15, And Hushai then said Hushai unto Zadok and to Abiathar the priest, Thus and thus did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and thus have I counseled. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, Lodge not this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily pass over, lest the king be swallowed up and all the people that are with him. So the advice there is move quickly. Tell David not to stay there, but to regroup, to refresh, and to prepare himself now. Time has been given. Now don't waste time. Now notice verse 17. Now Jonathan and Ahamaz, that's, and by the way, these are friends of David, stayed by in Groel, for they might not be seen to come into the city. And a wench went out and told them, and they went and told King David. Now the word here translated wench, wench, in the Hebrew is the word shifkor, which means a female slave. That's what a wench means. It's not to be used in a derogatory sense, but that's, that's what the word means, a female slave. That's who she was. And so deliverance comes by this woman and by a well. Now you notice, nevertheless, a lad saw them. That's these two men, Jonathan and Nehemiah, and told Absalom. But they went, both of them, away quickly and came to a man's house in Baharim, which had a well in his court, whither they went down. They went into the well. And the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread ground corn thereon, and the thing was not known. So they were completely hid there. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman, to the house, they said, Where is Ahimaz and Jonathan? And the woman said unto them, They be gone over the brook of water. And when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. 
Now we have a case here where a woman is not quite straight with these people. And having said that, um, we know of people like Rahab the harlot, when she lied concerning the spies. But some have even gone so far as to suggest, and it, it could be true now what she says here, notice that the wording is quite clever. Uh, they be gone over the brook of water. Some have suggested or even conjectured, and it, it might be true, we don't know, heaven will reveal these things, uh, that there is some truth in what she's saying. These men really are over water. They're over a well. One could say that, but she uses the word brook here. Now, some have conjectured when you read the Hebrew, the word brook is not actually there. They are over water. And she'd be right in saying that. They'd gone over the water there, wherever the water was. They were hiding over the well. Now, that does not excuse sin, does it? There have been some interesting things that have happened in the past. God, Because God does not lie, we are never to lie. But there can be times where we can ask for wisdom what to say in a very difficult situation. I'll give you an example in a moment. But before I say that, we should never lie. It's never right to lie. If God cannot lie, we should not lie. And Romans 3, 8, let us not be as those who say, let us do evil, that good may come. So God does never sanction a lie. But there have been times, let me say, where God's people have been put in very difficult situations and, and lives have been at risk. And again, it, it's never right to lie. But God can give us wisdom in things. And God did put this woman here to preserve, although he doesn't condone the lie or the evil, if she did lie. Well, maybe she was effectually saying, yes, they are over water, they're sitting over a well. But back in the days of King Charles II, when King Charles II was restored to the throne in 1660, he passed an act to abolish Presbyterianism in Scotland. And severe fines were imposed upon the covenanteers amongst those. Fined in men's were John Rankin of Newton and John Smith of Mattelsieu. And uh, these were difficult times. And, and in fact, just in some years between the year 1680 and 1685 was known of the time of the killing times. I don't know if you know that. But many Christians were put to death. And there were some well-known Christians that were martyred at that time. One in particular was John Brown of Claver House in Priest Hill. And he was actually killed in front of his wife and children. And he was a, he was a very humble preacher and had a, had a real stutter. And uh, the soldiers that came to his house asked him to pray. And he prayed and they said, well, don't preach, but pray. And they kicked him and they kicked him. Eventually, they, they took his life in front of his wife and children. And in those days, 
it was forbidden that Christians should come under what we could say the ministry of those who stood against, dissented against the state and state religion, the Church of England and even Rome at times, it would, you know, there was this toing and froing between Rome and uh, this dissent against the state church and even against Rome. And particularly the Covenanteers were greatly persecuted. But at one time during the time of the Covenanteers, when it was forbidden that Protestant dissenters could meet, and of course they used to meet in their homes, a young lady was on her way to a, a, a gathering, and she was stopped by some officers, by some troops, and she was asked where she was going. And listen to her story. She didn't lie. It was actually a very clever answer she gave. She said to the officers when they said, where are you going? She said, I'm told that a wealthy family member of mine has died. And I'm led to believe that I'm left in his will. So I go to hear what is my part in his will. And of course, what she meant was the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our family member. Now again, we mustn't be economical with the truth. We must always speak the truth. And we are never allowed to lie. But the Lord will give us wisdom. And heaven will reveal how honest this woman was. But again, remember, the Lord will always make the way of escape. Let us be very careful. Let us pray for wisdom in times of difficulty. And who knows how we would have responded in such a situation. May the Lord give us grace. We'll make of it what you will. What we need to say is that the Lord does not condemn her. Her faith was commended, just like Rahab. But of course, any untruth that she spoke of is certainly not commended of the Lord. Well, and at any rate, we read that David and these two men are protected. And uh, we see how the pursuers go back to Absalom without David. And it came to pass, verse 21, after they were departed, that they came out of the well and went and told King David, and said unto David, Arise, pass quickly over the water, for thus hath Hithophel counsel against you. And David arose and all the people that were with him, and they passed over Jordan by the morning light. There lacked not one of them that was not gone over Jordan. And what you notice here, fourthly now, is we have a Hithophel is grieved in spirit, in defeat, but he does not repent toward God. And this is a serious thing. This is always the ungodly. They can be grieved in spirit, just like Judas, but there's no repentance toward God. Notice his despair, verse 23. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass, arose, got him home, to his house, to his city, put his household in order, and hanged himself and died, and was buried in the sepulchre of his father. Now, 
few comments about Ahithophel. This man, in his life, he was an intelligent man. He was cunning. He was shrewd. But really, at the end, he was wounded in his pride because his counsel was not followed. And because he knew now, now that they couldn't capture David, and he knew that actually Hushai's counsel was disaster for Absalom, he knew it was all over for him. But there's no sorrow. There's no repentance toward God. There's no grief. There's no smiting in his own heart. He knew now because Absalom was finished, he was finished. It was all over for him. You see, he had the intelligence to know that Absalom was finished. And Absalom was no match for David. Which, by the way, came from God above. And now he knows there's no hope for him. And uh, this is how it goes in this particular narrative. So we could say, despite his shrewdness, despite his intelligence, he didn't repent and seek the Lord. And this, by the way, in large, friends, is the world, isn't it? The world knows. You know, the Bible says, God hath revealed it to them. But the heart is so bent on sin and self and seeking self and there is no repentance toward God and there's therefore no seeking after God. And you think of it, he was vastly wiser than most men in Israel, this man Ahithophel. But he lacked one thing, he lacked God's grace. And you and I, if we're saved... We ought to therefore be thankful for grace that we have. God's grace, don't we? Something else, this man, he lived for prominence and prestige. But now all that's gone, he's got nothing. What did Judas live for? Well, we're told that he took often out of the collection box, didn't he? He often took from the purse. He often was living for this world. That was Judas. And then when all that was gone and he saw that, remember, he, he sold the Lord as it were. When he saw that that plan, what he realized he did, there was no sorrow toward God. He ended up taking his life. It was the same with Zimri. You've read of Zimri and First Kings 16, we read there of him in verse 18, And it came to pass, when Zimri saw the city was taken, that he went into the palace of the king's house and burnt the king's house over them with fire and died. No godly sorrow. That's the worldly sorrow. And remember, the same thing happened to Saul. What did Saul do? He fell on his own sword. But godly sorrow leads to repentance, doesn't it? And that is, repentance is, we're told, the gift of God. And we ought to seek that. And here's the thing. This man, Ahithophel, thought that his death would end it all, but it didn't. It's just the beginning, isn't it? 
Where is Ahithophel now? Where is Judas now? Where are those who know the truth and who have been exposed to it? Where are they now? They're in a lost eternity. Taking away your life isn't the answer, is it? Shutting God out isn't the answer. He thought it all ended, but it didn't. It all has just begun. The scriptures say, Hebrews 9.27, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. But you see, in all of this, David's prayer is answered. Lord, turn the counsel of of Ahithophel into foolishness, and God did it. Fifthly, God prepares now David for victory by Absalom's foolish decisions, creating factions amongst the people. Verse 24, And David came to Mahanaim, and Absalom passed over Jordan, he and all the men of Israel with him. Verse 25, Now here's the foolish mistake. And Absalom made Amasa captain over the host instead of Joab. This now, no doubt, would have enraged Joab. And you read on in the next chapter, it's actually Joab that slays Absalom. He puts three arrows through his heart. As Absalom is hung by his long hair, caught up in an oak tree, and everybody else refuses to kill Absalom, but Joab says, I'll go and kill him. He made a real enemy of Joab now. A real enemy. This man here, Amasa, is called a man's son. It means really a great man. And of course this decision enraged Joab. And so we read later that Joab slays him. Now in verses 27 to verse 29 we see how David receives tremendous support from Shobi, from Machir, and Barzillai, a wealthy old man, in verses 27 to 29. And it came to pass when David was come to Mahanaim, Shobai, the son of Nahash, Rabbah of the children of Ammon, and Machir, son of Amiel, Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gedidatite. And we read all these, he brought, they brought beds, basins, they brought everything David and his men needed. And the supply is vast. And how many people did David have here? Well, that's why we read on into the next chapter, chapter 18. Thousands. David is regrouping with all of his people. Now, what are the important lessons to be learned as we close this morning? The first I would say is this. Ahithophel, with all of his shrewdness and cleverness, ends up fighting against God. And friends... It's a foolish thing to fight against the Almighty. Who can stand against God and his purposes? Ahithophel, as wise as he was, was a man who ends up taking his own life because he stands against God. And this is how people are in reality who are without Christ. They end up effectively taking their own life. They destroy themselves in the end because he alone is life. It doesn't matter how clever a man is, friends. He's a fool 
without God. A man is an utter fool without God. The fool in his heart said, or has said, there is no God. Psalm 94 verse 8, Understand ye brutish among the people, and ye fools, when will ye be wise? He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? God sees everything, and he will not be dismayed, but he will hold men in derision. I, the Lord, he says, have spoken it. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it. God has purposed that he should set his son, Jesus Christ, to be king. Not Absalom, and not in the line of Absalom. It's a foolish thing to fight against God. But the unrighteous will, friends. But on the other hand, if God be for us, who can be against us? Look at David. Despite all of his sin, is God's grace not invincible to David? Is God not upholding him despite his adultery, his murder? Despite all that he has done wrong, he nearly lost the kingdom and he was weak. But God put it in Absalom's mind to ask Hushai just at the right time, the most unlikely person to ask for advice. David's loyal or new friend that had never shown any loyalty to Absalom. It's all of grace, isn't it? If God be for us, who can be against us? You see, God would not forsake David because of his covenant with David, and because of his covenant with his son. David, it seemed, on the face of things, was finished. Absalom had all Israel behind him, and he had the wise counselor, but God overthrew that. And now Absalom cannot prevail because God determines the end from the beginning, doesn't he? Something else, Absalom, by his wicked plans, were thwarted. He was thwarted. His plans were thwarted for the absolute good of David and all of his people. Now, we must say, all that has happened in these last two chapters is for David's good. Think of how this chastening has worked good in David's heart. Hasn't God done a good thing? Humble David brought him to the very lowest of place. Yes, it's been for David's good. But we see how the mighty fall. And we read, there's an interesting verse in Acts 1.25. It says, Judas by transgression fell. Hear it. Judas by transgression fell. By transgression, Judas fell that he might go to his own place. Judas acted according to his nature. So do all men, apart from grace. Judas, by transgression, fell. 
And so the outcome is sure here, isn't it? Let me say this, all the church's enemies will be put to shame. And God's people, though they fall like David, the Lord will lift them up. Bloody every one of them. Though we may bring shame upon ourselves, though we may do terrible things in our lives. And I want you to see something. This is quite striking. I mentioned last week about David and his concubines. He never went back to them. You just turn to 2 Samuel 20, verse 3. You can see the change now in David. 2 Samuel 20, verse 3. And David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house. And of course, all of these, sadly, we know the case. We know what Absalom did. And put them in a ward and fed them but went not in unto them. So they were shut up unto the day of their death, living in widowhood. And that's a good thing, isn't it? We see David, he doesn't go back to his old ways, but goes back to the wife of his youth. My friends, this is the good hand of the Lord, isn't it? And God will work out all of his purposes in our lives. God will be honored. Sin will not reign. Sin will not have dominion over us. David had to go and he had to drink, as it were, or cross the book Kidron. And in love, God had to make him feel his sin and lovingly chasten him for his sins. You see, when God saves us, he saves us not only from the consequences of our sin, that is eternal wrath and damnation. But he saves us to live a godly life. And God will not be happy for us to live in sin, will he? But that we should turn from our sin and we should serve him all the days of our lives. Let us be honest. Let us not use half-truths. Sometimes if we're in a difficult situation, even though we may, We are never allowed to lie. But may the Lord give us words of wisdom as he did Hushai. And may we speak the truth always for our Savior and Master's sake. Amen.